The consequences of ignoring our body is that it often comes out sideways, like the pain comes out sideways. So it can come out right. know, in addictions or, you know, it can be, sometimes it can be panic attacks or it can be depression that we feel like we have nothing, that it feels, we don't know why it's there. Or, um, I mean, we can feel like we can't connect to people. We can feel like um, there's, there's so many ways that we paid the, the price of, of not owning our stories. Hi friends, it's Brittany Moses, and you're listening to the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast, the podcast at the intersection of faith, culture, and mental health, where we get to dive into expert insights and the realities of those with lived experience to help us live more insightful, connected, and wholehearted lives. So sit with us. You're listening to episode 18. Welcome back to the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast. So glad you could join me as we dive into the new year. I'm so looking forward to the set of conversations we have coming up over the next few weeks, but especially specifically for today's topic with my dear friend, Andy Culver. One of the topics I appreciate that we're honing in on when it comes to the perspective of trauma are little T traumas. We're really talking about the accumulative traumas that can take place in reoccurring events throughout our lives. A lot of times when we think about trauma, we think about sometimes these big events, right? Like maybe sexual assault or violence or combat. Some sort of distinguishable standout event that has marked our lives. But the truth is that we also have these life-changing, impactful, and painful events that have gone on throughout our lives that accumulate over time. And if we don't deal with those, chances are they are running in the undercurrent of our lives, shaping the framework of how we're approaching the world, how we're looking at ourselves, how we're approaching our relationships. We carry those things when they go unprocessed, right? When the root is not dealt with. Things like repeated exposure to verbal and psychological abuse that weighs on your psyche over time, maybe growing up, or repeated bullying and going through that as your childhood experience, or going through a divorce, you know, being a product of divorce, uh, moving around a lot, transitioning, that's a big life event. Being in a very harsh work environment, that's a chronic stressor every single day. Having repeated rejections and betrayals going on throughout your relationships, those things you might not pull out as a selective traumatic event, but they add up over time and eventually collectively take a toll on our psyche, right? Our mental, emotional, even physical and spiritual state. Today we're choosing self-awareness, amen. A lot of times these are the type of things that we just push through. We just push through the pain. We say, you know what, it's not that big, but it still shapes us and affects us, so it's important. A lot of times in the new year, we like to make these external goals about, you know, our finances and maybe how many books we're going to read or how much money we want to make or financial organization or grades or whatever it might be. My challenge is that we go deeper, right? We create goals that are more intrinsic, that are sustaining, that shape our character and last us in the long run as far as the person that we are called to be. 
That being said, I love that I was able to dive into this with Andi. Andi Colbert is a believer, licensed professional counselor, and trauma-informed EMDR therapist in Colorado, who's authored her recent book, Try Softer, a fresh approach to move us out of anxiety, stress, and survival mode, and into a life of connection and joy. You know, Andi has an incredibly refreshing and soulful take on the nuances of such a heavy topic as trauma that I personally appreciate and find beneficial, so it was great having her. Here is our conversation on addressing unresolved trauma and the journey to healing. All right, guys, today I have a dear friend with me, someone who I just I respect and uh, just love gleaning from online. I have Andi with me. How are you? Hey, doing really well. Oh, great. So you're in Colorado. I always have to ask, how's the weather over there? Yeah, it is. Oh my goodness. We're actually on day three of an October snowstorm. Oh my <laughs> gosh. A little disorienting, but it's really beautiful. But we're hoping, I know this will probably come out way later, but we have Halloween tomorrow. And so we're just hoping that we can get things cleared <sighs> away enough for that. Oh my gosh. Yes. All the little kids, please stay safe. <laughs> yes. Seriously. Well, I'm so happy to have you on. You're one of those people that I feel like I'm already connected to. <laughs> um, and so being able to talk more about some of the things that you share online, um, specifically, I know you have a background talking a little bit more about trauma, but about a number of things. And uh, you're doing therapy and you have some exciting works coming out, which I would love to talk more about. So for for those who aren't familiar with you, tell us about yourself and your background leading up to the work that you're currently doing. Yeah, well, thanks for that. Um, so my name's Andy Kolber, and I am a licensed therapist in Castle Rock, Colorado. I have a fairly small private practice right now just because I'm juggling a few things, um, one being an author, and then I do a good amount of just like advocating both, you know, social media and speaking and things like that, just around mental health and particularly trauma-informed perspectives, which I'm sure we'll get into more. Um, but I also have two kiddos, and I've been married to my husband, Brendan, who's my best friend for over 12 years now. So that has been, um, I have a ton of those types of experiences. But part of what makes me so passionate about this work and is that I, I am a survivor of trauma and some pretty significant, um, just a, a pretty significant amount of dysfunction in my family and what I would call attachment trauma and developmental trauma. And so that has really sparked um, so much curiosity and, and so much of my own work and learning in the in the areas that I, that I work in, because, you know, I just found that I got to a certain place in my life. It was really in my twenties. And I found that, um, I thought everybody walked around sort of what I call white knuckling it all the time. Like I thought everybody was sort of in this place of fight or flight all the time. And what I realized is that it wasn't, there were a lot of people, but, but that, um, that some of my experiences were a little bit different than other people, that not everyone um, felt like they had to walk on eggshells and um, just really had to 
I just really wrestled with a lot of things from my life. And so that's really led me to do a lot of the work that I'm doing now. It's so interesting because you hear that a lot from trauma survivors. Like I didn't know that there was any type of living that was different than this. And it's like being a fish in water and it's like you don't notice that you're in the water you know and so thank you so much for for sharing that um really appreciate the work that you're doing was there a light bulb moment for you where you were just like this is the work that I have to do um was there any type of realization or was it kind of a series of things that led you to say I want to study this specifically You know, I would say it's like, it's built, um, it's built on itself over time. You know, I think when I first went and got my degree, um, my master's in counseling, gosh, it's been, I'm even losing track. I think it's been 11 years (laughs) since I graduated. Um, but when I first did that, I mean, that was such important, like groundwork for me. I went to a place where I was able to really, um, integrate both my faith and psychology and I, and that was so helpful. And I really experienced, um, especially God in a, in a new way as I was taking that in light of also psychology, like sort of coming to this awareness that God was the author of our psychology and, and like of our psyches and like, what did that yeah. mean? What did that mean for me? And, um, and it was really this exciting time where there felt like, I just felt this hope. Because like I had said, up to that point, I just felt, honestly, I felt really trapped by my life. I didn't know how else to exist other than to essentially just survive. And so I began to see a light. I began to see that there was this, there were other ways to be, but it really took, I mean, partly I had to do the work so much in my own life before I could really begin to do it with my clients. And so partly it was me pursuing my own counseling. And then um, I began to get trained in EMDR, which is a, a type of, typically it's a modality used specifically uh, for, for trauma. But what we've come to find is that anything that is um, rooted in our nervous system, so anxiety, depression, can also, um, also benefit. But, but so as I began to understand and learn the complexity of, of who we are and how we function, it allowed me to go deeper in my own work around my own trauma. It made me see that I couldn't think myself out of the trauma, like the physiological states I would experience in my body. I would get really frustrated and sort of shame myself um, because I couldn't, I couldn't just talk myself out of it. And that, yeah. I would say that was the, that around that time was the light bulb that I was like, Oh, there's, this is even deeper than just my thoughts. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, so it, and so that's probably been about six years since I've really started that aspect of, you know, my learning. And, and I have to say, it's been absolutely transformative. And, and, and I have experienced such deeper healing. And I feel like I'm able to hold space for my clients in ways that I really believe I never would have been able to do had I not engaged this work in my own life too. I totally agree that it's like the level to which you sit with your own soul 
is the depth of how much you can sit with the souls of others, you yeah. know. And I, first of all, I just feel like we're kindred spirits here. You're like speaking to my heart because one, I agree. Like the, and I know you talk a lot about the intersection of faith and mental health too, which is so awesome. Uh, I mean, when you read scripture, it's totally about mental health. Like, <laughs> you know, when you think of the heart, you know, when it talks about the heart, you know, it's like the seed of your emotions, your will your motivations like about human behavior and human foundations right and then those light bulb moments I think a lot of us it's a lot of us who are in this work it it began with us at some point where we had the realization in our own lives like there's more going on here like those were the exact light bulb moments for me um experiencing like people in the church who were coming back with trauma and in various challenges and then with myself it was like it like you said it's more than just my thoughts and like changing my thoughts there are these physiological responses you know there are all these other dynamics that have just been so black and white for most of us for so long and it's and it's just not that simple (laughs) Well, building off of that, um, I actually want to come back at some point and ask you to explain EMDR while I have you on here because (laughs) I don't think a lot of people understand what EMDR is. I think it sounds strange to some people, like eye rapid movement, like what what is that, (laughs) you know, and maybe sharing a little bit more about what that is because I know personally some people who have found that like life-changing and really transformative. Uh, so actually, why don't you why don't you go ahead and and let us know now a little bit yeah. more about what is EMDR? What's it for? How does it work? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization Reprocessing, and it was initially sort of discovered or identified by a woman named Francine Shapiro, and if I'm remembering correctly, it was back in like '87, and essentially what happened was she was like walking um, through a park and she noticed that when she moved her eyes from side to side, um, she, re- she realized that there was something that I think was kind of disturbing she was thinking about and it like, it got better. She noticed that it wasn't as disturbing as when she initially um, began thinking about it. Wow. I know. I mean, how amazing is that? I, it's like, it's mind boggling <laughs> to me that this is how this started. So the idea, what we came to find and what she, you know, she's now, um, she's now passed away, but what she then went on to study, and there's been lots of research since, is that when both hemispheres of our brain are stimulated, so that's where the eye movement comes in is because you're going from side to side with your eyes. But what we've come to find is you can do that with in other ways. You can do that with like, like a lot of times I use pulsers. So it just gives like a light pulse um, in each hand, for example, or people can do it with audio. So like with um, like music or, or so all that to say, the idea is, is that we're trying to engage both hemispheres of the brain. And the theory behind it is that it seems to simulate um, REM sleep. And there's something about REM sleep that enhances our ability to process. And it's essentially, it's like it helps to unstick trauma. Um, So what that means is is that trauma, by definition, is, is anything that our body can't fully process and integrate. 
because it's usually like it's a, we don't have the coping skills or the our nervous system can't fully handle it and right. so that's how it gets stuck so it's almost like EMDR is a way to help tap into our body's natural ability to move through pain and move through hard things by helping it to sort of um, almost like if a drain is clogged, you know, you're like, you're helping to unclog it. And then right. where the therapist and what this looks like in therapy is that there's a really specific set of protocols. Um, and you can, you know, based off of how much experience you have and how well you know your clients, sometimes you can change these a little bit, but essentially you target um, content that continues to be disturbing because when I say disturbing, it shows that it's not fully processed. Like there's still something there that doesn't feel new, like, like it's not finished. It's not in the past. Um, it sort of still feels present. And that's a sign that our right brain, which is the part of our brain that sort of feels like it's, um, it, it can't really tell time. <laughs> it feels like anything that's going on with our right brain just feels like it's happening in the here and now. So that's a lot of times where trauma gets stuck. And that's why it feels like something that happened 20 years ago, if it gets triggered, that's why it feels like it's happening right now. We're experiencing it right now. And so really the goal with EMDR is to help someone, to help folks um, through a guided process um, fully sort of integrate and, and move through um, the content that was disturbing. And right. what we've come to find is that it, a lot of times, um, almost, you know, maybe not every single time because it's not a magic pill or magic bullet, but that it moves so much more quickly and effectively than talk therapy. And, and the reason is, is because we're integrating the body with the mind. We're bringing the pieces that trauma has disconnected, um, we're bringing them back together. And that's sort of the goal of healing is integration. And so, so that's how EMDR is, is, that's how it like serves to help people heal, is that it brings these things that have been sort of disconnected and stuck and not fully healed um, back together. I think that's amazing because trauma is so stored in the body and it's so somatic as well. It's not just in people's heads, you know, so it in that case, it makes so much sense to deal with the soma, the body and the mind and connecting the two. And I mean, just how that came about and how it was found is, <laughs> is you're just walking in the park. But I that's something that I would call like revelational knowledge, right? Because there's so many different aspects of healing, right? That we can partake in naturally. And I believe that these are gifts from God. You know, when we discover things within his creation that come together and help us heal as a people, right. I think that's a total blessing, something like EMDR that can connect those pieces and help you heal in such an efficient way. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the things I say often, and I write about this in my, in my new book, Try Softer, is the idea that, um, you know, our body's ability and desire to heal is a gift. Like just yeah. if, it like a gift from God, you know, like when in James, it says every good and perfect gift comes from above. 
And I think about that in terms of our bodies. And like, if you get a cut on your hand and the fact that it's able to heal, like, holy moly, that's actually pretty amazing. That's a miracle to me. And, and it's, it's the same is true. It's a similar idea with trauma with, you know, and sometimes people get scared by the word trauma. And what I would even just reframe it as is, is pain or disturbance, anything that we're carrying, um, you know, our bodies are made to move toward healing. Now that doesn't mean it's going to be quick and it doesn't mean right. there's, um, there's not a process to it. And it doesn't mean um, there's a lot that maybe comes with that. But so often in our culture, we are taught to ignore our bodies. We are taught to, to minimize our emotions. We are taught to push through um, whatever, you know, because we have defined strength as people who ignore their pain. And right. paradoxically, what we know, and really I believe this is God's posture towards us, is that we're called to, to tend our pain. We are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. Meaning if we're loving our neighbor well, like, please do love yourself well. You know, like, I mean, it's a reciprocal. Like this is our way that we care for ourselves is actually meant to inform how we show up in the world. And we, and I think we don't see that a lot of times. I think we skip right past it. And unfortunately, I think that's actually making us way more prone to being traumatized because we're not listening to the, our body's natural ability um, to heal, our body, the, the God-given gift. And, and you know, there's no shame. I, I want to be really clear in saying, like, if you're struggling with any of those things, this is not at all, like, meant to, to make you feel ashamed, but rather that it might be worth considering that maybe our posture towards ourselves really matters and that strength is often found in our compassion. 100%. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all of those gems. 100% things I wish I heard like 10 years ago. <laughs> um, but we have it now. Now, what is something you would say most people misunderstand about trauma? Mm. Well, for sure, people like, you know, I think for most folks, when they say hear trauma, almost everybody wants to put themselves in a category of that's not me, you know, like unless they yeah. have been diagnosed with full on PTSD. Um, most people say I, nope. I like they want, most people want to run from that. You know what I mean? And I, yeah. and I get it because, um, because it sounds scary. <laughs> like, let's just be honest, you know, like most people don't want to, um, th- I think we think w- that means we're defective. Like if something has happened that has been hard for us, you know, we think um, we're being strong to deny our pain or our wounds. Or or especially if it comes from family, you feel like you're internally betraying family in some way. Yes. So all of that. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's so common what you're saying. And I, and I find that so true for a lot of people is that we, we aren't able, we, we don't fully acknowledge our story or our wounds because we think that we are doing, like we're betraying, just like what you're saying. Um, and I think this is where we, like we have to be able to hold these paradoxical things that you know, someone can really love us and they could still cause us some harm. 
you know? Yeah. And that, and that's, that is simply what it is. That's just, it's just a, a reality that, um, uh, that because all of us are imperfect, <laughs> nobody gets out of yeah. life unscathed, you know, but denying that, um, actually makes those things, you know, when we talk about our body and our, our soma and all the ways that trauma lives in our body, the consequences of ignoring our body is that it often comes out sideways. Like the pain comes out sideways. So it can come out right. know, in addictions or, you know, it can be, sometimes it can be panic attacks or it can be depression that we feel like we have nothing that it feels, we don't know why it's there. Or, um, I mean, we can feel like we can't connect to people. We can feel like um, there's, there's so many ways that we pay the, the price of, of not owning our stories. Yeah, like it's going to come out in some way. I, I, you know, you hear if you don't deal with the trauma, it's going to deal with you. And that's, that's unfortunate, but it is true. And I think that something like when people think of trauma, they think of like the big ones, right? Like Mm -hmm. if you've been overseas and you've been in combat or if you've been, you know, marked by sexual assault or, you know, you've witnessed extreme violence or extreme, you know, domestic abuse, but you talk about something called little T traumas. And I think that this resonates with a lot of the population, with a lot of us. Um, and understanding trauma is not something that's overseas. PTSD isn't something that's in another country. Like it's it's right here. It's in our neighborhoods. It's around us. And and we may not want to categorize ourselves in that. But what what are those little, what made some of those little T traumas be and how would you explain those? Yeah. Yeah. So the first thing I know I kind of said this when I explained EMDR, but just to, to as a, a reference point, the way that I define trauma in general, so both PTSD, PTSD and little T trauma is anything that overwhelms our nervous system and our ability to cope. And so just from a general starting point, when we start there, you know, you can, um, classify PTSD off of that too. However, there are some certain classifications that go along with that. With little t trauma, it may not, um, it may not incapacitate us in the same way as experiencing um, those big t traumas. Um, and so, like to your to your question, things like um, verbal abuse, emotional abuse. Um, grief, loss, infertility, divorce, um, you know, transitions that feel unresolved, being shamed, um, or frequently um, experiencing, you know, shaming um, communities, things like that. Like all of those I would put under um, little t trauma. And I think there can be more, right? Because it's anything that overwhelms our nervous system and our ability to cope. Um, but the reason why I say those specifically is oftentimes, and again, not always, but often, little t traumas begin to have their roots in childhood. Now, yeah. it's important, again, to understand that this is a spectrum. So this is going to look a little different for most people. But like, let's say, you know, this is, you know, Johnny, and he's five, and every time he cries, he experiences really intense shame from his parents because 
because he cried because they're like, you're, you're weak. And I can't believe you're, you know, like you need to get over that and you need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Well, so in that one instance, that's probably, I'm sure hurts, you know, but what it begins to do is it creates a framework for Johnny about life and how he can feel. And that influences like our literal, like neurobiological templates of life. And it affects our ability to sort of tolerate emotion. So I come from what is called, you know, I talk a lot about the window of tolerance. And, and all that that means is all of us have a, a, a window in which we can sort of tolerate the emotional experience we're having or even the physiological experience. And when we get, essentially, if it gets too much, we either go into fight or flight or we go into freeze. And so- yeah what that means, and this is all, you know, I think really important too, is that once we go to those places, our prefrontal cortex, which is the part of our brain that we need to sort of, it brings all of our brain together and it helps us, you know, with decision-making and it's our executive functions. Like those are offline. So if you go back to Johnny, right. And Johnny's experienced tons of shame and this is how he lives in the world. You know, let's say Johnny's 25 and he's at his job and his boss gives him some pretty intense feedback. Well, so Johnny now has a framework of life that teaches him that any, like, like anything that sort of feels familiar to those experiences of childhood could potentially send him into fight or flight or maybe freeze. Yeah. And so then, totally. Yeah. So maybe later in the day, Johnny's boss is like, I don't know why Johnny hasn't gotten anything, any work done. And he seems really like lethargic and depressed. Well, maybe Johnny's maybe slightly dissociating or, or freezing essentially. Right. Still experiencing, um, sort of what felt really threatening to his body because it felt so familiar, um, to his childhood. And so I, I share this with you because I think this is how little T trauma accumulates. It's like though that one experience in his office, those things happen sometimes, right? But if if we've got a lifetime of unaddressed pain, right, it will feel much bigger and disproportionate than the one instance that might actually be triggering it. Right. I resonate with this so much. I resonate with little Johnny. Um, <laughs> I, When I was going through my own healing process, I didn't realize that I had learned to stonewall my emotions um, because growing up, not, not from my parents particularly, but from other adults that were in my environment, um, there was a lot of verbal abuse and manipulation and I remember, like, it, this was something that I realized I had suppressed until I started digging. I remember training myself not to cry, like, as a kid, where it was like, don't cry. Don't let them see you weak. Don't let them see, you know what I mean? Don't let them see that they're getting to you. Don't cry. Don't cry. And I trained myself not to cry, not to feel, and to, at the switch of a, you know, finger, to shut it all off. And so, like, growing up, then when things happened, it, I would switch off. I would intellectualize and I would just and then I would try to like reckon with it all or remedy it through my work and like, you know, and and 
proving to myself, you know? And so it it is so, it is so true what you're saying. I'm just bringing this thing, like I identify that these things totally play out this way. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. And I think, I think the part of the reason I'm so passionate about this is that, you know, I, I think that this is so much more common than people realize. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the recent statistics that I saw um, from Nadine Burke Harris, who's done a lot around um, adverse childhood experiences, Mm -hmm. is that two thirds of our population have experienced at least one adverse childhood experience. And so what that means is, is that's essentially trauma. That's, that's it. That's, it's toxic stress, which is, which is trauma. Um, and so when you think about that two thirds, that's 66%. I mean, and it's huge. That's huge. And so, you know, some people have gotten more support than others and some people have had different resources than others, but man, if we could be honest about the amount of folks (laughs) who are hurting. Yeah who are living from those old scripts, who don't really know there's any other way to be, I think it would really shift a lot of what we are experiencing as a culture. I agree. I think it's a crisis and I think it should be seen as a crisis because like, I love Nadine Burke, by the way. I know we both love her, uh, you know, because she also explores the biological ties and that people who have unresolved trauma and especially those adverse childhood experiences, they go on to develop more chronic diseases, uh, lower life expectancy, like all these things that are that do have to deal with like life and death. Um, and so it is like a long-term life and death issue um, and... I think putting all of that into perspective, it's 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 totally a crisis, because um, p- people think it's overseas, and it's like no, it's in our neighborhoods, it's in your suburban neighborhood, it's in your, you know, urban neighborhoods. So you know, what are the first steps you suggest someone should take to begin to resolve and heal from these? Like, say someone's hearing this and they're like, yeah, like. I have these little T traumas. I've experienced the infertility or the moving or the divorce or the verbal emotional abuse over time. And I've just lived with it. And like, what what are my next steps to heal? Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey guys, we're going to get right back to the conversation because trust me, I know you'll want to hear the whole thing. But I quickly wanted to share with you this exciting new partnership I have with BetterHelp. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P. One of the questions I get asked a lot are how you can go about starting therapy. A number of you are located around the country and even around the world. And as helpful as I often like to be, sometimes I find myself limited in being able to provide the one-on-one resources that you need. Well, I'm happy to say that one option I can share with you today is BetterHelp's online therapy and counseling services with licensed mental health professionals. 
Since I know a lot of you guys want more faith-based counseling as well, I'm even more excited to share that they also have another service called Faithful Counseling, which has licensed Christian therapists and counselors who are certified by their state, where you can receive licensed counseling using your computer, tablet, or mobile phone through video calls, phone calls, or text messaging. So I use BetterHelp Therapy. I've been using it myself, and it's been super convenient, you know, between school, work, and really just having someone to check in with on a regular basis has been so important for my own mental health. So what happens is when you sign up, you'd be matched with a counselor in 24 hours or less, and you can securely message your counselor anytime, any day, you know, day or night, and get replies within 24 to 48 hours. BetterHelp also has group in our sessions every week where you can learn in groups directly from licensed counselors on multiple topics like relationships and ways to overcome anxiety. Uh, I also found out that financial aid is available for those who qualify and you can apply for financial aid during the signup process. Hello. Additionally, listeners of the Faith and Mental Wellness podcast like you get 10% off of their first month using my specific link in the show notes below. And like I said, I know a number of you are around the world. BetterHelp is available worldwide. And if you want to get started and get matched with a counselor within the next 24 hours, I have links to both BetterHelp and Faithful Counseling in the show notes. I should mention that it is not a crisis line, okay? If you are experiencing a crisis, I have a link to all the crisis lines by country in the show notes as well. Check it out and let me know what you think. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. Yeah. Well, I think I'm going to, I'm going to pause for a second and just say, if that's you, I would love for you to check out my book, <laughs> Try Softer, because you are who I wrote my book for. Um, and I think I through so much of this, but I, I definitely have some thoughts. Um, the first is, you know, really beginning to understand and get familiar with what I, what I was talking about with a window of tolerance. And this is a really, it's going to feel kind of basic maybe, but part of why this matters is that when we are living outside of our window of tolerance all the time, um, we don't really have a, we don't have choices, right? So like when I'm already so triggered that I am just reacting from my lower brain, whose, whose only goal is survival, that's not really the time that we can be super proactive. Now we can do some things with that. But the reason why I think this matters is if we can begin to pay attention to our limits, we can actually be a little bit preventative and learn like where, like where is our window of tolerance? Like what, what are, like what are the situations that might be activating for me? What are those things? And it's not to say that we're just going to avoid those for our whole life. Cause I think there's absolutely like healing is 100% possible. But before we can do that, we actually have to get the lay of the land. We have to begin to understand and and reconnect with our bodies. And so a lot of times, just a really basic, um, you know, a really basic thing that I like to teach people is grounding. Um, Because if you're feeling like you're going out of your window of tolerance, um, again, thinking isn't necessarily going to bring you back in. (laughs) Because again, you're having, you're probably experiencing a trauma response. So for a person who might be resonating with this and you're realizing that some of your responses in life feel disproportionate, one thing to try is, you know, doing something where um, a really common one is like naming five things that you can see. 
really paying attention to that to engage your your senses and then naming four things maybe that you can touch and then like actually touch them <laughs> like feel them feel the texture if you're if the weather's decent go outside put your feet in the grass um three things that you can hear um, and really take the time to notice them uh, two things that you can um, taste you know, if that's at all possible. And then maybe even just one thing that you're feeling in your body. And, and what that does, the purpose of that is it engages a part of your brain that is allowing us to, essentially it's, it's a great way to bring you back into your window of tolerance. Because we don't have a lot of choices, again, like once we're outside of our window. So that's just like a tip that I like to give people um, as just like a first action step. Love grounding. I did it like yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I do it all the time. I do it all the time. Just a moment of anxiety. You're just like, let me get back in touch with my senses for a moment here. And it works. It totally works. And I think the more we do it, we actually get better. Like it gets easier. The first time yeah. it might feel a little bit awkward. And I just want to just give you encouragement to stay with it because what we're actually what we're doing is again we're engaging the body and the body has so many resources um, to help us stay connected to our full self which we really need if we're going to heal like we actually have to be connected to our full self to heal Um, and then the next thing is as that becomes a practice i think if we can uh, one term i use in and try softer is something called compassionate attention. And it's this way of being with ourselves that we begin to sort of, you know, when I use that, that um, phrase, like love your neighbor as yourself, it's like, you know, if, if you can think of a neighbor, a friend, a loved one that you are loving towards and, and what kind of compassionate attention you might give them when they're in pain, um, could you tap into that similar posture with yourself. So when you're in pain, instead of judging it, could you just say, hmm, man, I'm so, honey, I'm so sorry you're hurting. Like how, what do you need? What would you need to feel better? Who could help you? Um, Is there something soothing that I could do to help you right now? You know, and it's sort of mirroring, um, sometimes I call this reparenting, and so it's really connecting mm-hmm. to this part of ourself that, again, is really connected to our prefrontal cortex that can sort of soothe the parts of ourselves that are still hurting. And so I think that's a really, that's just a helpful, you know, this is something I continue to do. Like I practice yeah. this in my Same. life right now. Yeah. And I've been Same. doing this for over a decade. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, Yeah. And then the last thing I would say is that if it is at all possible, I would really encourage folks to try to connect with at least a trauma-informed therapist. Um, You know, if you can find someone who does something like EMDR and also potentially is sort of a somatic or body-based therapist, I think that those can also be really helpful. Um, But you really want to recognize that this is a holistic perspective. Like, the trauma living in our body means we have to take um, not just a thought approach, but a whole self approach. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, you know, what? I, first of all, I love all of those tips. I love all of those things. I do them myself and it's so transformative to just even be like, oh, okay, 
I'm feeling, I notice my body's rushing, (laughs) you know, it's getting anxious or I notice like, or labeling the feelings that are going by and just noticing them and being like, okay, you know, treating it like a wave, like it's going to come, it's going to go, here we are, (laughs) you know, I love this. I love this so much. You know, how would you say, because we're talking about a holistic perspective, right? And a holistic perspective to trauma, if we really want to see those around us heal. And sometimes it gets treated very black and white. I know in my experience, it was just like this, like you're a new creation now. You're a new creation in Christ. You know, the old is gone. The new is here, you know, and it almost, um, while I absolutely believe in that spiritually, um, I don't, but I don't agree with it, that idea of using it to dismiss the past in a way, because especially when the past is still affecting you. Like you said, it's trapped in your body. You get, you can get stuck by it. And so, you know, how would you say the church can be better about addressing trauma? Um, Cause it's, it's, oh my gosh, it's, it's in the church all the time. I, I've seen it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, first of all, I just want to say I'm so grateful for your work around integration with faith and oh. like just because Thank I think you. it just matters so much. And I think yeah. there's so many of us who who are wanting, who who really are so um grateful for their faith and believe in it wholeheartedly and yeah. hold the tension of really significant wounds. And we have to honor we have to honor that, you know, honor both. Yeah. And so I just, yeah, I just want to say that, but, um, I love this question you're asking. And I think, um, one of, uh, one of the things that I, you know, sometimes I, I, this is not my phrase, but I sometimes I've heard someone say like the future is trauma informed. And I, oh, I love that. <laughs> right. Like, and I believe that because I think, I think that the future is trauma informed for the church too. And yeah. And I think though there's, so there's a couple things I want to say. The first is that, you know, what you said about like becoming a new creation. I think that what we hold that intention with is this idea that we live in an already, but not yet world, right? Like Jesus has come, but he is not finished, right? Like we are so loved, but we're not perfect. And so we are constantly running into these paradoxes. And that's actually not surprising because that's how God works. God is this paradoxical Mm -hmm. God. It's like the upside down kingdom. You know, first, the first is, will become last, you know, like, um, or the last will become first. And just like all these things that feel like, wait, why God, why is it like that? And I think that there's a sense in which um, we can recognize, I've said this lately a couple of times, but I think Sarah Bessie calls um, a miracles that take time a process miracle I like that process miracle that's good yeah I really believe that is the work that I get to do as a therapist and I know the work that you are really working like engaging in is that I get to sit and be part of this process that is moving not finished but moving toward wholeness and so I think partly that's a really important foundational aspect when we talk about how does the church address trauma, like we have to start with this idea of process and tension and nuance and paradox. And 
it, and it really is, it can be kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> like, let's be honest. Like, yeah. don't, don't we just want things to be finished, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's such an important, like, basic element. But I think as, then the next part, like a little bit more practically, I would say, um, I, you know, I heard Nadine Burke Harris talk about this recently in terms of um, she was comparing understanding childhood trauma to the, an epidemic of, of, of smoking. And she yes. was talking about how important um, just awareness has been in educating people about smoking and the hazards of smoking. And that just makes so much sense to me about trauma-informed perspectives and work is that a lot of folks, quite frankly, just do not know. Like there's not, um, I, I would love to see churches really put resources and energy towards just like first education and understanding and knowledge. Um, so engaging professionals who can teach about trauma and the body and, and really from a very like um, psychoeducational perspective of like, we can't change something we don't even know exists. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think that's a really, even though that seems sort of basic, <laughs> it's like we can't actually move. Like, I think the church has gotten so much better about talking about mental health in general. And I mm -hmm. really believe this is the next step. Like, I love that we're beginning to really, to make it okay to talk about mental health. And what I think we need to go the next step on is understanding um, how big of a factor trauma is in, in so much of the mental health sphere, basically. Right. Because so many people in the church, like, even if they haven't experienced those uh you know, quote unquote, big T traumas. There are so many who have at least experienced the little T traumas cumulatively. Yeah. And in needing dealing with those. And even though that you're saying that's basic, I mean, I, I think it's so huge. Just the perspective aspect. Mm, because like, like you said, when we can open up that perspective, then we see the need for more help. And um, our our mutual friend, Steve Austin, kind of mentioned, <laughs> he, was, he was actually on here, um, how like, we awesome. expect – yeah, like how we sometimes expect pastors to be the expert of all things. And it's like, it's totally okay to bring someone in like yourself mm. uh, who has more resources and information on this to even just do a workshop with your leadership team and helping explain that or maybe whoever's over your care ministry or doing giving a message or presentation at the church. Uh, things like that. And then maybe even having a resource list of, mm -hmm. you know, therapists that you know and trust, you know, that you've gotten to know uh, that can be a referral. Um, so things like that, because we know that for over 20 years, you know, people in a psycho, people having a psychological crisis will go to their church or their pastor or, you know, faith community before they ever set foot to a mental health professional. And yeah. so 100% on the front lines of this. Yeah. So I appreciate you as well and the work you're doing. And there's, I feel like there's, I mean, there's no such thing as enough of us like doing right. this or talking about this. I am completely convinced of that. I, I'm completely convinced that there's more labor 
to be done than there are laborers. Mm-hmm. Um, for yeah. sure. Well, and I think the last thing I would just add with that, and, and this is where this is takes a personal investment, I think, from churches is that, you know, just like therapists, it's like we can't give what we don't have. And I think for like for ther- for churches and church staff, it's like I would really just encourage folks to do their own work because yeah. if we really, really want to move towards a trauma-informed lens um, in churches to really honoring this, this means we have to be really doing our own emotional work because if we can't tolerate our own emotion, we will not be able to tolerate other people's emotion either, right? Right, and, or, or worse, we'll dismiss it. Or give some blanket statement that's unhelpful. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's where harm happens, right? Exactly. Is that that when folks, and just like what Steve said, is that, you know, because a lot of times ministry leaders are put in positions um, that feel like they need to be what they're not, you know, that if, if we can encourage ministry leaders to know their own limits, to know their own bodies, to know their own stories, they're going to actually have so much more internal resources to know, oh, wow, you know what? This feels too big. Like, this is out of my expertise. Like, I need to make sure I refer immediately, you know? Yeah. Um, And so I think that that's what's so interesting about this work is that so much of it comes from doing our own internal work. And that's, I think, will inform the systems in churches um, that will make them even more safe, even more of a refuge for place it for people who are hurting. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would love, I would love to see that even get even more like popular and more. Yeah. Feel that need. I would love to see your book passed around <laughs> since they can pass around your book and hear all more of this. And speaking of, why don't you tell us all about your latest book, Try Softer? I mean, I'm so excited for this. I've been seeing you build up to this and can just imagine through your captions and whatnot the work that you've been putting in and I know you've poured so much of your heart and the past years of the journey that you've been on through this along with just a lot of the gems and nuggets you've shared on the podcast so far and so much more um why don't you tell us more about the book and uh where you got your inspiration and all of the good stuff that we need to know yeah yeah so yeah so the title of the book is try softer And, you know, really this came about as, you know, it it was a work in progress for a while. And before I even knew what the name was going to be, where it really started was sort of as this love letter to uh, my younger self, Um, my younger self who didn't have a lot of language or resources or really self-compassion for any of the experiences I had had growing up and and even just presently had, the way that my experiences growing up were still affecting my life, my inner critic, my, um, you know, one of the things I talk about in the book is that most of us go through life, not most of us, many of us have learned to go through life white, what I call white knuckling it. And I use that term really intentionally because basically what I'm speaking to is that we're pushing ourselves harder and further and essentially out of our window of tolerance because that's how we feel like we'll be loved or we feel like it's the only way we'll stay emotionally or physically safe. 
And so we come to experience that as the only way to exist in the world. And so try softer is sort of the antidote to that. Instead of saying, I don't care what your body is experiencing, I don't care what kind of pain you're in, try softer is this compassionate lens that says, what is it that you would need um, to stay connected to yourself? What is it that you would need to thrive? What is it that you would need to move through this pain? What is it that you would need and who can you reach out to so that you don't have to go through this alone? And so really what I've tried to create is a framework um, for folks. And, and the, a lot of the book, the beginning of the book really dives into trauma. So big T trauma, little T trauma, how, that's, how that affects our bodies. But the second half of the book is what does it look like? You know, so this idea of trisopter, I think for a lot of folks, folks, they're like, well, that sounds great, <laughs> but how do you do right. that? So it's really, you know, I have a lot of actual, um, in every chapter, I include like an exercise that's trauma-informed. Um, so I really keep in mind folks' um, window of tolerance and really try to give a lot of freedom to invite anyone who reads it to listen to their body um, so that as they're going through they're sort of practicing trying softer as they're even reading about trying softer. You know what I mean? Like it's like yeah, really trying to engage the embodied aspect of a lived experience. Um, so yeah, so much of this is, you know, it's a huge mixture of my work from EMDR, somatic psychology, interpersonal neurobiology, dialectical behavior therapy. Um, All but of also, it. <laughs> yeah, but an attachment. Yeah, but like, but with my story and with my faith too. I love how practical it is. Um, I love the practicality and oh my gosh, I can't wait. Go get her book. I'm going to link everything in the show notes, all the good stuff, all the stuff. Um, and thank you so much for taking the time to share all this information, which I know some people have never heard before, honestly. Like if if it were me, I don't know, 10 years ago, this would be a completely fresh and eye-opening perspective for me. So I just know that this is going to be so helpful and just, you know, bless you and the work that you're continuing to do. Um, I feel like even though it's been years, I feel like you're still just getting started. I mean, mm. I'm so excited <laughs> for you. Aww. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this conversation and so grateful for you. Oh, great. Well, thanks guys for listening until next time. Thank you.